0: Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and I want to thank some of our corporate sponsors out there, particularly uh, Battle Hardened Games that has been a great sponsor on Patreon and the support that they've provided us over the years, and they continue to do good things. So if you get a chance, visit battlehardenedgames.com, and my guest... You've all been waiting for this one. Uh, he's been on the show many times as a co-host. I've asked him to come back as the show has picked up speed, and he has been generous with his time today. And so I want to welcome Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemaier Games to the show. Jamie, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad that the show is back, and I'm honored to be back on it.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, normally, I'd have you introduce yourself and everything, but most of my listeners were like, when's Jamie coming back? So I, I, almost, I don't, almost don't even have to introduce you, but you are the CEO, president, owner of StoneMeyer Games and the creator of many wondrous games, many which I have. I want you to rattle off some of those games that you've got.
1: Yeah, the Viticulture Euphoria Scythe. Uh, the upcoming Charter Stone and Between Two Cities, which I didn't design, but I but I published that game.
0: And that's interesting because Charter is it Charter Stone? Charter Stone, yeah. Charter Stone. You are known for being the Kickstarter guy when it comes to the meticulousness that you apply to your Kickstarter campaigns. You've been very successful. I have a a learning course on LinkedIn Learning that used to be lynda.com, and you were generous enough to allow me to use your content. um, When Scythe was running live, we published it out there. So if you want to go, for those who are listening, you can go to Lynda Learning and look up Kickstarter and see my course out there. Uh, John Covey's uh, project and your project were the two that I highlighted about that. But this time, you've decided not to do Um, Kickstarter with Charterstone, right?
1: That's right, yeah. I mean, the the last, we're talking right now in April 2017, the last Kickstarter campaign I I ran was in November of 2015. So it's been about 18 months since I've run a Kickstarter campaign, but I've still been very involved as a backer and as someone who writes a lot about Kickstarter on on my blog.
0: You do, and that blog can be found on stonemaiergames.com. Is that where that blog is?
1: Yeah, so com or same thing as kickstarterlessons.com will revert people
0: there. Now, before you Yeah, came, but
1: yeah, Charterstone will, not be, will not, not, be
0: not be on Kickstarter. And so people are asking, yeah. uh, is, is the Bloom-Off Kickstarter for Jamie Stegmeyer? Is he just like, okay, you know, that was a fun run. I don't want to do that anymore? What's the, thought <laughs> that, what, what's the thought there? And because let me point out also that before you came on the show, you went out on your um, Facebook page for Stillmeyer Games and asked your fans to, about... Yeah what you would like to, them to talk about, have you talk about on the show. And that was one of them, is kind of this idea of not being on Kickstarter. And I think it was uh, Joseph Chen who asked you about that.
1: Yeah, Joseph was asking about how, how my time has changed, if my happiness has changed since then. Um, and I should be clear when I talk about this, I still love the Kickstarter platform, and I am a big, big advocate for it. It, w- it was crucial for me to start my company and to grow it. It just happens that uh, it reached a point where Uh, There were some risks involved in in fulfilling campaigns and dealing with 20,000 backers um, and and all the time involved because it does take a lot of time to plan and execute on a Kickstarter campaign, but I decided to move away from it. And since then I found that my time is fully taken up still by 80-hour weeks of of business and game design, I I, I don't know where I would fit Kickstarter in now if I want to add it back.
0: Well, there's always the possibility of having somebody else run your Kickstarter campaign. Yeah,
1: I've never been, I've never been a big fan of that. Both personally and and when I talk to other creators, just because there's, it's that personal one to one interaction that I think is what makes Kickstarter beautiful. And so to remove myself from that would just take that that personal touch away from it.
0: Well, then so. And that personal touch, though, is what has made you so special in the Kickstarter community because you set the standard very high about how engaged you are on those Kickstarter campaigns with your uh, install base, with your fans. How do you maintain that high level of touch and connectivity to these fans?
1: Well, fortunately, social media is in a really great, healthy place right now. And so one of the main things I do, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Geek on all those platforms, but the big thing that I do now is that I have a Facebook group for each of our games. So there's a Euphoria group, there's a Charterstone group, there's a side group. And so that's a place where people can congregate to talk about the games, to ask questions. I'm very involved in answering questions, and I'm posting new content. Like if I have a new expansion come out, I'll tease that expansion on the Facebook group. So it's like a little mini, or really it's a consolidation of Kickstarter comment threads all in one place on
0: Facebook and so that means that you're still engaged you in your case those fans were there and you gave them a place to congregate and come together
1: right and I think more, more and more people discover it every day I, I, we add at least on the size group I think we add about 30 to 50 people a day who I'm guessing many of them are people who have played Sides with their friends or have bought a copy and they want to join the community they want to be they want to share their love for it um and I kind of made that very clear on these pages. This, these are places for people who uh, at least enjoy these games. Not, I guess we've had a few instances where people come on and and trolls. are trolls. really negative. Yeah, essentially trolls. Yeah, And I, I fully respect that people don't like all of our games, but these groups are not the place for, for those people.
0: Right. And that's interesting because you are out there, you're talking about it, you're sharing it. it uh, I, uh, I have a... Uh, an acquaintance, David Brin, science fiction author, Uplift series. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he posted on his Facebook blog about the artwork that comes out of Scythe, and that uh, from a science fiction standpoint mm. and that type of thing. And so I posted mm-hmm. back and I said, "By the way, there is a game built around that artwork." <laughs> And he uh, his, yeah. he was able to see that and say, hey, thank you very much for letting me know that. You know, there's a wide variety of people that are drawn into this that maybe aren't going to be going to Board Game Geek to hang out in the forums there and to, to navigate that Byzantine um, interface. <laughs> and instead just want to okay. come and, fi- and find it. And so that, that's interesting that you're using uh, a Facebook to be able to stay in touch, which is where traditionally that was done through the updates on the Kickstarter campaigns.
1: And one of the beautiful things yeah. about that, too, Richard, is that you, this was a while ago, but you tagged me in that comment. So I was able to then, because of a simple tag, one of the, you know, a wonder of modern technology, I was able to, to engage in that conversation with David um, and, and you. So that, that's another thing that, I, you can do that on 4GV, too, but Facebook is really good at those tags.
0: It is. I, In my capacity in my job, I drive executive social strategy for the company I work with and, and work with these executives to figure out how to, to justify why they should be on social and for them to understand the importance of that. Some get it. Some are still yeah. coming kind of up to speed. And one of the things I point out to them is that it's easier to connect with the president of the United States than it is <laughs> right. with them, right? I mean, it's it's kind of a scary thing, and we're not going to go down that path. But yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> the ability to connect and reach out, and you found a way to do that. So, and that's been a lot of fun to watch how you have – engaged. And I learned a long time ago in the years that we've known each other, particularly when you had a Kickstarter campaign running, don't talk to Jamie. Don't expect a phone call. Don't expect any time because you really uh, immerse yourself in making sure that you are there for those fans.
1: Yeah. I, that's a, hu- a huge part of my day is customer service, uh, whether it's public customer service on these uh, you know social networks or if it's private emails um, or if it's things that I've started to automate in different ways like replacement parts, which I have other people handle the replacement parts system. That's, uh, that's a huge part of what I do. It's, it remains very important to me, even though I'm not on Kickstarter.
0: That's interesting because you've built up this – well, not you, but the, the Kickstarter ecosystem has become very broad, right? More and more people are quitting their day jobs, you being one of the uh, more successful ones, quitting their day job and, and involving themselves full-time – in the board game space that they love, and I keep continually to drive home the fact that Kickstarter is fun is pouring so much money, hundred thirteen million dollars of successful funding last year in twenty sixteen, on the tabletop space is pouring into yeah. this environment that's allowing so many people to pursue their dream, oh fund their dream, pursue their passion, and find mm-hmm. ways to do that. That ecosystem then is artists, right, specialty people, r- uh, rule book uh, reviewers. Uh, designers, uh, whatever it might be, all of these different little pieces of the ecosystem are becoming much more mature as the money continues to flow in. And that's been quite spectacular to watch that. You've been a key part of that.
1: So it sounds like you... I'm curious. A few people, Joseph and uh, Jose, asked about future trends. And it sounds like you're Richard, You're really good at that, Richard. You're good at identifying trends and kind of anticipating where they'll go in terms of Kickstarter or the board game world. What are What are you... Like you just kind of touched upon that, but what, what do you what do you see happening next? What, what's that? Hap- well, it's interesting
0: happen? because I in the I live in the tech world, and the tech world moves at a, such a hyper speed, and so it's one of the reasons that I was involved and been involved with the Kickstarter for so long is that saw these trends coming and saw what was what was happening with that, and it's interesting that we're seeing some some traditional classic market consolidation. So the uh, mm-hmm. the decisions by Asmodee to acquire and then them to kind of con- Acquiring control, the distribution channels, uh, the price a little bit, the, uh, the product. Um, there has been a lot of talk that are we in a bubble. You've heard Aldo and I on some of the episodes uh, talk about this bubble concept using some past <laughs> examples. Uh, we saw the comic book industry go through a glut. We've seen gluts in the RPG space with um, Dungeons & Dragons at one point in one of their iterations. And so there's a worry out there that possibly we're in a, some kind of uh, bubble like the technology bubble of the 2000s or the financial bubble of 2008. The difference here is, when it comes to the concept of a bubble, is that unlike those bubbles where supply was being pushed to a limited demand, here it appears that we continue to have an almost unlimited demand that is drawing or pulling at the suppliers. You had right. the, one of the. You just said it. You had seventeen thousand people backscythe that want to have your game. Do, you know, it wasn't that long ago that if you had a game on Kickstarter, had four hundred backers, the retailers said, "Well, man, the market saturated. You just sold to every person that was ever going to buy that game." Right. Gloomhaven's been out there. I've had Eldr- Eric Childress on the show here just recently, and we're having him come back. And one of the things that. There's been complaints about the retail channel. Is oh, you know, he's up to I don't know how many he's up to, what fifteen thousand backers, something like that, two million dollars, whatever it's at. And they're like, well, everybody who's owned it, and and I saw a Facebook post on this, and I responded. I won't mention who who posted it. And I said, oh, you're right. You're right because Scythe did seventeen thousand backers, one point eight million dollars, and now as a retailer, you can't sell another copy because everybody who wanted it owns it on the planet. <laughs> Oh wait! Oh wait! I'm wrong. What printing? I mean, it's dripping with sarcasm. Oh, it was just, and I even pulled it off on Facebook with the right. It was just dripping with sarcasm that really you're complaining about somebody like Gloomhaven that they flooded the market. I said they've done you a favor, they because they put that game out there. People want it; they're in demand for it. It's going to come in, and they're going to say, "I want my own copy. I didn't get it on Kickstarter." You can't believe that everybody who wanted it. So my trends that I'm seeing is is a continued growth of demand consolidation i think asmoday has like they they bought out so many of these different companies and now they need to pay for that investment and one of the ways they Uh do that is get a tight hold on the distribution and get a tight hold on the pricing and and the challenge though is is that as you constrict supply to artificially boost demand that works and if you have a limited supply channel, but Kickstarter has transformed all of that where now demand is pouring in. I had somebody stop me yesterday who said, oh, yeah, I, uh, I, know. I said, do you play board games? No, but I've played Exploding Kittens from the, from the oatmeal. I'm um, like, uh, are you kidding me? That That's how far they, had no, they know nothing about the board game industry. But they've played Exploding right, Kittens. Right. And they know crowdfunding. So what's happening then is a market that never even knew these games existed is finding games like Exploding Kittens. They're finding these games like Cards Against Humanity. And now they're saying, this is great. I want something a little bit more. And then they find right. the next one, and they find the next one. Amazon's driving that. Uh, <laughs> Friends are driving that. Kickstarter's driving that. And I think that we are not seeing a glut. We are seeing finally de- supply and demand bypassing the artificial channels that – The long tail of distribution kind of had in place. Now I got to be careful because I'm not taking away from that, but I'm saying is that if you if you can't go into your game store and find it, people are just gonna you know they're gonna go on Amazon or they're gonna be out on Kickstarter. Also, we're seeing the quality of the other trend is. Money is pouring in allowing the quality of components and content to be elevated. There was mm-hmm. so many naysayers yeah. saying that we were going to be flooded with a bunch of mediocre crap on Kickstarter because the gatekeepers were being bypassed. And that was being <laughs> lamented by the gatekeepers themselves. Well, yeah, there's a, there, there is. There's a lot more content out there, and it's some of it's mediocre, but some of it is fantastic content with fantastic art and mechanics and Innovations that we would have never seen in the traditional model, so I think we're going to continue to see right. that. And then the last one is the the um, what do I want to call it? The the, the splitting up of the, the market into smaller and smaller segments that keep getting bigger and bigger, right? So, yeah. so, solo, I think Aldo was on, we were talking about solo games. Um, mm-hmm. what kind of market is there out there for solo games? I mean, solitaire. But no, the game market that says, look, this can be played by one player. Well, now the, there's enough people that are finding who like to play games with one player that now settling the market is starting to sustain. A couple of a, a publishers, a couple of games, a couple of concepts. Solo play is one of the key things that's being out there, what you've done with Scythe. Uh, I know that uh, Uwe Eichert with his um, mm-hmm. Awakening Games. Right, yeah. uh, Academy Games. His uh, whole solo engine continues to do well, so you're going to see a lot more of this type of thing where niche markets are going to find their dominance because money is flowing in to keep them alive. So there you go. There's my rant a little bit about some of the trends that I see happening.
1: That is, I I, it's, I I love hearing you summarize them. And that last one, I think I don't think I've heard people really touch upon how powerful that is. Not just with solo games, but any any niche that uh, that the market realizes is is viable as a niche. Um, and civil games is a great example of that
0: for sure. Right, it's going to be, but it's going to also be, I think there'll be a resurgence in, um, so for example, Battle Hardened Battle Harden Games that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, they do a card driven mm-hmm. uh, 1750 Napoleon, uh, uh what is that, to French war card game. Okay, well, how many people are yeah. really interested in that? Doesn't matter. What matters is, right. is that people who are interested can now find. Uh, this product, and oh, I, I'd, I'd be interested in another one like that. Operation Faust from Robert Burke Games. Um, okay, and now do you have another one like that? a Kind of a card-driven war game theme? Oh, here's one over here, where before you'd have to walk into a board game store and go back in the back section, and here's the war games. Now, here's a segment of that that you're interested in. The whole Cards Against Humanity type concepted games. The whole, um, like I just said, solo games. These niches are going to continue to expand because a... a critical mass is being reached that I found one and now as you just said through the power of technology and social media and that type of thing I can find others that are just like that and not only can I find the other games right. I can also find other players conventions oh my gosh every time I talk to anybody every convention I just came out of proto spiel right five six hundred people I don't know right. how many people here there were hundreds you're seeing and I and people are like where were you you were I was at you know I was at a game convention that they don't have published games and people scratch their head and like really <laughs> J.T. Smith, who's been on the show just recently, uh, an episode with him, his game crafter game company continues to have a record month every month. And now he has Tabletop.events, a website that gives mm-hmm. you basically an event in a box. And you want registration, merchandising, all of that handled. J.T.'s got it right there. The, all of these little niches are now – there's enough capital – that's flowing in and flowing through that we're able to sustain all these different niches. That's why it's not a bubble is that demand, we keep finding new places that demand has been untapped. And so that's why this is very exciting. That's cool. Yeah. uh,
1: yeah.
0: Well, you got me going. I'm supposed to have you talking, not me. (laughs) Hey, speaking.
1: Yeah. I think that's really, really interesting. All all that. I'm, I'm fascinated. Do have have, if those trends stay, if they keep going, if, if what happens next?
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, I wanted to bring up one because I saw, uh, as I went out on your website, uh, excuse me, the Facebook page, and saw the people who were asking some questions, one of them was a shout-out from a dear friend of yours and mine, Cynthia Landon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cynthia was on the show a couple of years ago when she was just kind of, their, their little company was just kind of off in the corner somewhere in the world down in Florida. And now uh, I had her on the show and I got to see her at origins a couple years ago. And I guess uh, you just told me right before we were talking that you spent uh, some significant time working with them.
1: Yeah. Cynthia and her brother, Chris run meeple source and they, they figured out a while ago that they are really good at making uh, like nice little parts for, for, for games, mostly meeples, but there's a lot of different parts and what I realize is that they are really good at shipping small things around the world. Small here things in the U.S. and Canada, but also, yeah, S- small like, things you know, to lots packers. of
0: people. Right, small things to lots of people. Small things to lots of people. Right. I can't
1: imagine what their warehouse looks like with all these different Meeples and parts. But I, I saw they're really good at that. So we have a partnership where Meeplesource is is my source for selling and distributing promos. Mostly side promos. There are a lot of different side promos at this point, and I kind of realized that people wanted them, but I didn't want to deal with the hassle of shipping and I, I wanted to outsource it, and so yeah, we have a we have a great partnership with Maple Source. Cynthia is wonderful. Um,
0: so, they, help me, so help me understand: yeah. that. what kind of promos are in scythe? That Maple Source doesn't Maple just make Maple Source just make little meeples? That's their
1: that's their what they do primarily, but, uh, but they kind of expanded that a little bit to some other things that companies companies make, and in particular. Yeah, size is not their product. It's a product that I print and then I, I send it to MapleSource and they sell it through their website. So mostly cards. Yeah. Mostly promo cards, not pro, promo power dials or some promo coins.
0: Interesting. You know, we, yeah. got, we got to have Cynthia come back on and talk to me about all the stuff that she's doing.
1: Oh, yeah. I bet she's doing more than, than even we're mentioning here that I don't know about. they kind of, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to listen to that episode.
0: We're, well, we're out of time. We've actually gone over just a little bit. I did all the talking, but I. I, I <laughs> so what? what else? So let's talk about. Now, oh, you know what? I think we're going to stop. Would you be willing to come back on another time? Yeah, of
1: course, of course, Richard.
0: I I know you stay busy. Anything that we'd like to share with our listeners that you're involved with, or any shout outs that you want to make?
1: None in particular. I I I'll just shout out to you. I'm I'm glad the funding the dream is back.
0: Well, I appreciate that. You, uh, you have been a co-host on it many times over the, the years, and um, it's been nice that we've kind of in some ways grown up together, to use a term, yeah. uh, that, on Internet age, right, as, uh, as you found your success. And I've uh, been thrilled to be able to share that with my audience. Jamie, as always, thank you very much for joining me on the show and uh, sharing some thoughts. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Jamie Stegmeier, owner of Stonemaier Games, creator of many great games that I own and that you probably should too, and he's been great with Kickstarter. If you want to find out how your Kickstarter campaign can be successful, go check out his book on Amazon or visit his website at stonemaiergames.com. Thanks for listening. Take care.